Hey everyone, and welcome to the Real Deep Cuts podcast. It is a beautiful Sunday, August 28th, and you're listening to episode 12. My name is Raymond. And my name is Jeremy. My name is fucking Richard. (laughs) Don't let the soundboard fool you. Richie's actually away this week. He had to attend a music festival literally last minute. But here to help us slice open and gut H.G. Lewis's Gorgor Girls and discuss their latest bloodbath, we are joined by two very special guests from Denver, Colorado. Director, writer, and editor of Gorehouse. Ladies and gentlemen, she can't be stopped. Please give it up for Miss Carmen Semini. <laughs> you actually put the soundboard. I thought you. <laughs> I love that. Also, to, yeah, it was a hell of an introduction. <laughs> also, here to complete this deadly duo, we have the writer and director of The Lamb, the twisted mind behind Gorehouse. Everybody, please welcome the scholar of horror, Mr. Elijah Ziegler. There it is, there it is. Thanks for having me. Alright, that's new, bro. That's new. (laughs) (laughs) That's tripping. Welcome to the show, guys. We're excited to have you here. It's a pleasure, of course. You know, we appreciate you guys coming on, especially with the premiere and all that. But since we have so much to talk about, let's just get right into it. You both just premiered Gore House last Thursday on August 18th and 19th. All the blood, sweat, and gore have finally paid off. How are you guys feeling? Uh, pretty very good. good relieved honestly relieved <laughs> yeah was the premiere hectic or was it just like you know it was, How was it? it it honestly went way smoother than i expected um but i always expect the worst to happen but it was really fun everyone had a really good time yeah it was very it was very hot in the theater which was probably the main downside but otherwise <laughs> the sound was good the performers were good it went really well hell yeah as somebody who went not as an organizer, I thought it was fucking awesome. Like just from top to bottom, you guys are selling it short. It was, it was really cool. Like it was what three story venue, kind of like hole in the wall in downtown Denver, mm-hmm. Jester's Palace. Mm-hmm. You guys sold out both nights. Yeah, highest ah, grossing event in the Hell venue's yeah. history. And you guys even added a third night uh, last minute, the following Tuesday, just because it was doing that awesome. So. Very cool. Um, oh, and shit. That one was like a, that was like an underground screening. Yeah. You got we, the third one. Oh, really? So it was a different, was it more low key? Yeah, it was, it was like a different venue that like our friend uh, who's a part of the Horrible Things, well, he's the like producer of Horrible Things Film Club in Denver. Um, he's the one that w- asked us to do like an encore show. Um so we were like, yeah, sure, whatever. And it wasn't as like, we didn't have like the performers and, but we added like the lamb and we added a couple extra trailers uh, to the show. Um, and it was very, it was like a way smaller venue, like not nearly as many people, but there were still like maybe like 30 to 40 people, which was cool. Um, it was way more calm mm-hmm. for sure, but oh, it was cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, well, the night that I went, that was the Friday night that was at the, well, they both sold out. So they're about the same amount of people there, but it was just. The energy was crazy. Um, everyone was super excited. To paint the picture, you go up the stairs and they had the merch booth. And, you know, I had to get a tote and tea. They were super cool. But then at, from the merch booth, you go into this auditorium. And then they had like five unique burlesque dancers, which were all horror themed. And they were all amazing. Lots of blood. 
Um, <laughs> and it was just great. I mean, especially now after having watched our deep cut for this week or Gore Girls, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, kind of like now I really feel like this was such a passionate tribute to that film and H.G. Lewis because I was like, oh, my God, there's so many of those go-go dancer girl scenes in that film. And mm-hmm. I realized I was essentially that's what I was getting. I was getting the live H.G. Lewis experience. Um, but yeah, no, in, in your guys's own style. So it was very, very well put together. Um, and I love the little features before the film. Once you get once Gorehouse went up, it was just like that was it. That was the big event. It was killer as always. I got to see a early cut of it and um, amazing, like how much, you know, color grading and all of that stuff. Sound design. I thought the score was fantastic. Who did the score, by the way? I'm just curious. Um, so I found this person on YouTube. They're called White Bat, and they mm. they put a, they have a bunch of music, like so much. Like I went on their Bandcamp, and they probably have like over fifty albums of just like synthy music, and they oh, give wow. it away for free. Like they're like, this is no copyright. Like use it for your films, use it for anything. And I was like, that is amazing. I love that. Um, so I used a lot of his music. Um, there were parts that I kind of just like, like right? Seriously. Um, there are a couple parts that I kind of had to like, like not score myself, but just do a lot of sound effect things like, uh, in post it was, it's one of those things where you have to like trust the process, you know, (laughs) you're just like putting together a bunch Mm -hmm. of stuff, like slapping it together and you're like, well, hopefully this works. And then like, it ended up working really well, (laughs) which was awesome. Yeah. I mean, just a really awesome event. You guys should be super proud that everything went so smoothly. Not once, not thanks. twice, but three times. Yeah, thanks, so, dude. Of course, man. And um, well, so you, Carmen, you were inspired to make this. And I know, Elijah, you kind of had the concept as well, like behind this crazy story. Um, and it was it came from specifically Gore Gore Girls and you are both fans of H.G. Lewis, and that's not a name that a lot of people are familiar with, but he's the godfather of splatter horror or gore even. Um, so what what was your discovery? Like, what was your first exposure to H.G. Lewis, and how did it how did that lead you to, you know, last Thursday and Friday? Well, see, okay, so I think the gore-gore girl's influence was purely Carmen, actually, and mm. Because uh, initially I was inspired. My my introduction to H.G. Lewis was actually uh, this remake of one of his movies. It was called 2001 Maniacs, which is like a remake of 2000 Maniacs, uh, a movie mm. he did in 1964. Mm-hmm. Um, and so initially I had this idea, which – and by the way, that movie, a little backstory there. It's, it's about um, a group of travelers who – take a wrong turn and find themselves in basically like this civil war reenactment town. And when they get there, they find out that they're guests to this like annual barbecue that the town is putting on. Mm-hmm. And uh, they come to find out that the barbecue, um, that they in fact are the barbecue. So ah. uh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I, I kind of, took some influence from that with Gorehouse yeah. initially and was like, Oh, well, it'd be cool if, mm. you know, that was like a brothel or something like yeah. that. And then, but like, I mean, uh, but like, I don't know, I think Carmen took that and like 
added the kind of like sexiness of like go-go dancing and stuff like that mm-hmm. and sort of sort of brought the concept of like you know the strangers go to a place and find out that they are uh not so welcome and kind of added that like sexy kind of element to it yeah and that that makes a lot of sense i was wondering where the cannibalism angle came from but that that that's it right there yeah and i just think that's such a great punchline in uh gore house but um yeah so and carmen you so you were drawn to gore gore girls specifically um yes my uh intro to hg lewis was wizard of gore um which is a really fun movie and that's kind of like what made me want to start watching more mm-hmm. of his movies and me and elijah kind of started watching them together um and elijah i feel like the title of gore house could is kind of like inspired by just all of hg lewis's titles like wizard of gore and gore gore mm. girls and i feel like that's kind of where play gore house was born yeah you know? the whole yeah. like pun element um, yeah for the sure. play on words but i was just drawn to gore gore girls because it was like it was you know like strippers and sex workers and it was very like sexy and fun and i kind of wanted to like uh I liked the idea of like kind of reversing the roles from yes. like Gorgor Gore girls mm-hmm. and ha- instead having them be like, you know, the killers and, you know, being the more like, uh, like powerful ones in the situation. Although I do still think like Gorgor Gore girls still has like a positive, uh, light on like the strippers and sex workers. Mm. Um, but yeah, I just like really liked where I feel like H.G. Lewis stands in that film and I just kind of wanted to reflect that and show like the fun, like, um, you know, music and colors and everything. Uh, that definitely reflects. Mm-hmm. It is a fun time. Absolutely. And I just watched it again with um, Ray. Literally the uh, first shortly time, yeah. before recording. And I had already seen it. This is my third watch. But yeah, we were, we're cracking up. It's just I was, yeah. I was telling him so much shit that I was just like, dude, honestly, like I was comparing it to Gorgo Girls and I was just like, we'll save that for later. We'll save that for later. But I enjoyed it thoroughly <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, awesome. I mean, since you already kind of gave it that shorthand, I guess we could get right into the deep cut of the week, which is Gorgo Girls. Um, I have to thank you guys again for letting me, lending me or actually, you no, know, gifting me that copy um by arrow that super nice box set finally got to put it to good use and um yeah it was a really fun damn time. so you watched it you watched it like straight gorgo girls because i watched it on tubi and i was like fuck man i hate these ads oh yeah no i got to enjoy the blu-ray with the oh, um, introduction from hg lewis which was very cool uh, but awesome, yeah go ahead awesome. and uh take it away man all right, yeah, let's get into The Gorgo Girls. Um, debuted in 1972, directed by H.G. Lewis. Um, tagline, in screaming color. Uh, synopsis, a ditzy reporter enlists the help of a sleazy private eye to solve a series of gory killings of female strippers at a Chicago nightclub. There is 3.6K views on Letterbox, and it is starring Frank Cress, Amy Farrell, Hedda Lubin, uh, and Henny Youngman. Let's actually go with Carmen and Elijah this week. I know you guys are huge fans. So with this film, how do you guys feel about it? Love it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, big (laughs) time love. It's very fun. How many times have you guys watched this? That's a real question. (laughs) (laughs) Once for me. Um, I watched it a few times. (laughs) Yeah, I watched it probably like three, like total counting right before the show. 
like probably three or four times. Yeah, that's awesome. I think this is a good entry level uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis movie because I think okay. that um, there's a lot of gore. That's the one thing about this film that I feel like has aged incredibly well is the gore. Yeah, <laughs> it's like very, agree. very yeah. good and very. I mean, even if not over the top and just extreme i saw somebody comparing the gore in this film to like how to basic videos and that's kind of accurate (laughs) because of how (laughs) deranged and just how aggressively um insane you know that Mm -hmm. just what what the killer's doing with their hands and and their their eyeballs and it's just it's a lot of fun the sound effects are just like you know they get under your skin Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean I, I mean, as you said, this is a good entry level. This is my first H.G. Lewis, and mm-hmm. I feel like I, I'm i definitely on board. Like, I had a lot of fun with it, and I, I get what you guys had already told me, which was he's notorious for not making, like, great films. He's not, you know, dishing out these masterpieces in the, in the you know, sense of, like, highbrow cinema, but it's sort of, I think that's the appeal is that it is so trashy, and it is so um, obsessed with that sensationalism of violence mm-hmm. and sexuality and uh, the, the sleazy characters, the very like quippy dialogue and just, I don't know, it's a ton of fun. So if this is a good entry point, I'm glad I, I started with it because I can I can see the appeal for sure. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was like, it, it's a fun film, of course. You know, I kind of went in expecting like you know gore gore girls obviously it's gonna be a lot of gore um there was like some oddities but i you know i like that kind of stuff the kind of just weird and just different things that you don't normally see in highbrow cinema as you said but you know um i really did like the main character there's some charm to him and you know the film it's it like it was only like an hour and 20 right jer like about yeah. like yeah it, it went very, pretty very quick. quick yeah it was entertaining I think like I did look forward to <laughs> the murders on the screen, of course, like they're just like hilarious. Oh, yeah. And I think the gore, of course, is like the highlight of it. And you're very much right. Like there is like, you know, the, the sleaziness of this film, but, you know, it works for what it is. And for what it is, I mm-hmm. actually did enjoy it. Um, I did like want a little bit more from the main character, but like, I think, you know, it's not that type of movie, you know, it has the attitude of like a smut film. He got his start making smut first. Uh, like, uh, uh-huh. he was a porno guy. Uh, he made, like, uh, nudie cuties in the 60s. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he would make, like, uh, like he's got hilarious. this movie called the, the Adventures of Lucky Pierre that's just, like, basically a nudie camp movie where it's just, like, mm-hmm. a bunch of nudists just kind of hanging out. But, but yeah, I think, I think uh, Carmen, I bet you would agree with this. I feel like Herschel Gordon Lewis, he probably would be cool with you know sort of being known as a businessman first and then i think that's like the whole mm. kind of you know charm as well to just exploitation movies where they're just like you know uh like these these people are making these stories up just to i don't know i feel like there's sort of this idea that um exploitation movies are kind of high concept and i think that's true because you know they're trying to get people to sit down and watch their film and I think Herschel Gordon Lewis movies are like probably the prime example of, you know, an exploitation filmmaker just kind of like using all of his brain power, like regardless whether his like technical ability is, you know, that proficient, like 
his imagination always seems to shine. I mean, like there's like padding in his movies every now and then, but for the most part, like mm-hmm. his movies are like really creative and strange and bizarre. And, you know, I think that's kind of unique to just exploitation movies of that, that era, you know? I think his world that he created here is unlike anything I've ever seen in a film. And that's saying something. It is this, you know, in this very like, 70s grimy yeah yeah you know moody place and then you know you have these very sultry red and deep black contrasts like just the whole color grading is just it's very giallo um very like bava-esque but you know you don't expect to find that aesthetic in something that feels so sleazy that Mm -hmm. feels so you know like (laughs) it's an interesting uh, you know, dynamic. That's what intrigues me so far about H.G. Lewis. Um, you know, it's his it's his scummy characters. You know, <laughs> these very two dimensional. The men are all just kind of. They're. It's almost comical what gets these guys horny, like in the seventies. You know what I mean? <laughs> like seeing these dances, and you know, they're pretty like tame, goofy, yeah. and kind mm-hmm. of even sometimes awkward dances, right? in the film but you know the men are just shouting they're hollering and just like losing their shit and just there is something kind of funny and charming about that yeah i think like the character especially the guy that was like beating the shit out of like the the fruits it just like added to the oddity of (laughs) the scene i was like what the fuck is going on man (laughs) that to me that dude i I was thinking about that earlier like just that character (laughs) like how bizarre that fucking guy is like what's he doing in this movie (laughs) But it works. Instead know, of looking at nudie says, girls, this oddity. dude's beating the fruit. <laughs> you know, obviously there's sort of like a suspicion of him and it's just right, it's yeah. just comical how much they kind of shove that in your face. I loved the nipple donut buttons yeah, on the shirts in funny. the club. Mm-hmm. That was great. Um love the yeah. 70 sideburns. <laughs> um I yeah, just even that guy that you said the fruit guy that's the same one who has the backstory where he was like bashing in the heads of his fellow dead mm-hmm. Marines and not yeah. like what a crazy backstory. Like, yeah, I mean, that is just such an interesting <laughs> fucking detail. Like, <laughs> like, and the guy drew the line. He wasn't just bashing the head in of the Viet Cong. It yeah. Was, it was his own men. That's where they drew the line. It was just like, Oh my God. I like that kind of dark twisted humor here, but, uh, yeah, I mean, see, and that's like such exploitation shit too, though. To be right, like, yeah. oh, how do we create a red herring? Oh, he just, just make him really, just make him bash shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's a lot of fun. I, I think, yeah, you know, the acting isn't great, but I don't, I think it's like, it is great for being bad because I mean, there's that I one agree. scene where that woman walks in after there have been like two slayings, basically one after the other, and this woman walks in and she discovers, <laughs> yeah the scene and she just screams was like towards the <laughs> like, end right <laughs> yeah yeah and it was just like the worst <laughs> the, the worst, worst screams, screams it but awesome, it was the man. best screams <laughs> i was like loving that just and that was right after the i mean i'm assuming infamous now uh the the meat tenderizer scene oh my god <laughs> which is just oh, great yeah. like <laughs> salted f- her ass literally salted her ass fantastic kill yeah salted it <laughs> salted the salt ass and pepper is a final is a final <laughs> garnish um 
And then the cops come. I love that it's these like horribly brutal murders. Like seriously, yeah. the mm-hmm. some of the most graphic and just deranged killings in a horror film mm-hmm. I've seen. And the cops come into the scene and they're just like cracking jokes. They're just like, yeah, uh, yeah, they this one got her ass beat in. This is so insane. Um, so yeah, that's that what world, I mean. It makes like, sense. Like, <laughs> yeah, in, in H.G. Lewis's world, it makes yeah, sense. But it's right. so funny to sit back as a viewer and just kind of, you know, mm-hmm. take it in. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I love that. I love the juxtaposition of things and the way people react to things just, don't even make sense um i feel like there's almost a gradual loss of attention to detail and acting as the film goes on yeah yeah i've noticed comical (laughs) um like uh i won't say what the reveal is but there is a woman wearing a somewhat of something of a bald cap and it's not even covering oh my god that got me actually (laughs) i was like damn that was funny that was good i like that they left that so i mean and that's the thing it's like obviously he had to have known it's not like a continuity mistake you know it's just right, like it's of one course. of those things it's like he, i think he's adding it in mm-hmm. as another way to shock the audience because it seems like this movie is it's really these earnest attempts to shock the viewer and it's and he's insanity. doing it in different ways and mm-hmm. with either the nudity or the language or the, just the way the characters are and obviously the violence and then stuff like that or it's just like mm-hmm. <laughs> And at the time, like that was super transgressive and provoking. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. people were like just fucking outraged that, you know, this guy was spanking girls in the ass with a meat tenderizer. Like people couldn't <laughs> believe it, you know? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's still, it's still definitely not for everybody even today. Yeah. You have to kind of know Absolutely. what you're getting into. I mean, okay. If we're going to talk about the meat tenderizer, we have to talk about the, the nipple squirting the oh my the god bro. lactation i mean <laughs> that shit got me is that even <laughs> biologically possible <laughs> I, yeah i was like what the hell <laughs> i don't know if that if a doctor would agree with that but i i did find it super um just i don't even know i had no words I was dude like, my, wow. my mouth that's yeah, like it, dude, my jaw dropped i was like oh my god whenever <laughs> he uh Whenever the killer clanks the fucking martini glasses together, I was laughing so hard, dude. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Carmen, I can see why you've watched this a bunch of times, to be quite honest. Now, like, just talking about it, I'm yeah. just like, fuck. I need to, like, make sure that was real, what I saw. No, yeah. Because I can't believe some of the things that are in this film. But, you know, and it's really funny. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there is, like, a really sardonic, twisted sense of humor behind it all. I mean, the writing isn't the best, but it's like still fun and snappy. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's what you would expect these characters to say, but it's like everything you want to see, you know, the, 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 I love the dynamic between the, uh, reporter, uh, and, um, the private eye and the private eye. Yeah. yeah, Cause it's just, it's a really fun back and forth. And I think there's actually quite a good payoff (laughs) in, in, in all honesty toward the end. Um, and just, yeah, I, I, as much of the you know scumbag as the character is, you know him in this world makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Him being the protagonist, like him being the guy that saves the day, makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it just it is a fun little idea to do that. 
It is, yeah. Um, I actually agree. I think like the the dynamic of the like two characters was just like awesome, especially like the main character, the private eye. It just reminded mm-hmm. me of just like a weird, twisted fantasy of like <laughs> like a private dick in L.A. You know, like a classic story. Mm-hmm. Of course, like the femme fatale and like his little friend and all that stuff and the journey he kind of goes through to solve the mystery and that's how i kind of viewed this entire you know um story in the film but he was he was funny like especially with his cane i think like (laughs) he had his charm man yeah well i I just like i mean he really to be honest his character is is very much like the guy that fucks in a 70s porno like he's Mm -hmm. the guy he's you know he's got everything that that character would have you know the guy who's just outright misogynist and rude to women and they still you know swoon over him for it and uh you know he just has this very like i'm better than everyone here attitude um but yeah there's something kind of still alluring about following him following him on this mystery which i was actually kind of intrigued by the mystery i mean obviously i know it's not going to be this crazy um reveal or anything but it still kept me intrigued and I, I just loved the kills. I mean, I love the way that they set up certain kills. Like mm-hmm. there's a scene where the, where the fries on the fryer <laughs> and it's like, you just know someone's getting <laughs> yeah. killed with that. And they did a great job. I mean, even the ironer, nude, bro, she used the fucking iron, the ironer. Yes. <laughs> I'm like everything. I love the way that those kills are set up <laughs> and um, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's memorable. It's really creative, like you said, yeah. Elijah. It's very creative, very memorable. And I really want to know now, because you both had to do your research for uh, Gorehouse to know, like, how do you achieve that level of visceral gore? Um, what were the methods that H.G. Lewis used and what were the methods that you had to use? Because I know a lot has happened in the last 50 years uh, in terms of laws, <laughs> uh, the legality of using... You know, <laughs> pig organs and things like that so yeah i feel like i honestly i still need to do more research on hg lewis's gore especially his blood like i want so badly to know his blood recipe because i feel like it's the perfect like brightness yeah i'm like that's perfect because it's so hard to get like bright blood without it being super like transparent Mm. also um so i and uh, like you were just saying it's oh his he definitely used like actual meat from the store and actual, you know, like a lot of stuff that definitely you're not allowed to put around actors. Mm. Otherwise it's a health concern. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily I had a special effects person that was kind of in charge of it. Um, she did it. It was really fun. I always, I love making horror movies because I feel like f- for the whole cast and crew, I think like the gory, days are always the most fun just to like watch and see the special effects artists do it and just watching the actors act with it and just seeing it like not on screen is so fun and funny you know oh yeah i mean that was the thing it's like i'm sitting here watching the score i know it's not real but i'm still wincing i'm still like damn this is gnarly yeah it looks accurate like it looks like he definitely had to have done a lot of research on actual gore and be like uh Mm. how do i make it look like that you know i think the sound is what got me The sound and just the indulgence, literally (laughs) the character, the killer just meshing around in the guts (laughs) and in the skull fragments of the face and the skin. Like playing with it. Playing with it, yeah. And it's like, wow, like (laughs) he's not shying away from it. I really respect that because I'm a bit of a gore hound and I like 
when the camera doesn't shy away from it. If you're going right, to do yeah. something gruesome in your film, don't cut away. Like there might be some tasteful cutaways you can do. Sure. But I think, you know, if you're going to include something like somebody getting their face bashed into a mirror <laughs> and, you know, you wrote, you wrote it in, right? So you might as well deliver. Um, cause at, at the end of the day, it's fun, you know, it's fun, uh, violence and that's what you sign up for and i and i know you mentioned too that this shows like sex workers in like a positive light and i wanted to know what you what exactly do you think h.g lewis was getting at with his portrayal of stripper strip teasing strippers and things like that um i guess i just felt like showing like even like the protesters and stuff i feel Mm. like that was kind of just Mm. funny like showing how stupid it is Mm -hmm to be like protesting that was pretty meta actually yeah <laughs> i feel like i don't know personally when I, I just feel like they're never vilified you know what i mean like they're all pretty like silly fun likable characters and so like mm-hmm. i don't know seeing them get murdered in these like disgusting graphic dis- <laughs> disturbing ways it's just like you know i i feel like you, you're rude you know you don't really want it to happen the mm-hmm. that's just i don't know about you carmen that's just kind of like when i watch it that's kind of how i feel i'm sure you would agree yeah, it's not like you're wanting the sex, like the sex workers and strippers, right. to die, and you're also wanting to know who like the villain is and who could do such like right. brutal stuff to these people. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a weird um, like subversion, right? Because you don't want horrible things to happen to these characters, but at the same time, you know what you're in for, right? You know the ticket you bought. And you're like, okay, yeah, these people are gonna die horribly, especially from the opening scene. You know, you know what you're in for, and I think it is that weird like conflict that you have with like, you don't want these horrible things to happen, but when they do, you want to have fun with it, you know, while you're there, <laughs> you want to have fun with the violence that, you know, he puts so much attention to detail into. Um, and especially because a lot of the film feels tongue in cheek, you know, it almost feels like the over the top violence. It almost kind of diminishes the I- impact of like, at least the like serious consequential impact of like, Oh, that was a real person that died because the way that the bodies are mutilated, it, it just dehumanizes them at, to a certain point where it's not even about the character. It's like, it just yeah. becomes about the visuals and the sound and all of that. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. I enjoyed my time with Gorgor girls. Mm-hmm. It was really, truly a unique experience. And, um, <laughs> I, it flew by for me, so I don't know. What are you? What are your thoughts? Your final thoughts on it, Ray? Honestly, yeah, I feel the same way. The ending is what got me. I think that's when I and the sounds. I was just like, oh my god, man! It was just so perfect. But <laughs> it was comedic. Um, the main character has its charms, of course, and then you know everything that pretty much you stated for what it is. I I did enjoy it. I did, but um. At first, I was just kind of like, I, I didn't think it was, I wasn't sucked in in the first, like, I would say 30 minutes of it, you know? I think when the killing started happening, that's like what you vividly remember throughout the entire film. Right. And then you remember, like, the plot. Oh, yeah, there is a plot to this. And then you kind of get that um, conclusion in the end, which just, like, ties in the comedic world that it's in. And also just, mm-hmm. you know, for what it is, I thought, like, you know, it was it was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. Um, would I watch it again? I honestly don't know. <laughs> I think I would have to be in the mood, you know? It's like one of those movies that you definitely have to. I'm going to get more to more of the discs. I want to, like, set. see more of his work. I'd say that for sure. 
Mm-hmm. Like I definitely want to see more. Man, of his work. 2000 yeah. Maniacs. That's a that's a masterpiece right there. That's a great. Oh, one. there you go. Out next. Yeah, exactly. Oh, sorry, October sorry. Comes. It's a yeah. it's a trashter piece. It's definitely. <laughs> trash. I definitely use the term masterpiece yeah, pretty good, pretty loosely, but. <laughs> yeah. No, I I would say I get where you're coming from. I mean, there's it just exists on an alternate plane. Yeah. Of you know. You have to yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You, you just have to watch. I feel like movies like, you know, that Herschel Gordon Lewis makes, like you you can't, you know, like you can't expect or you can't want the same, you can't expect it or want it to deliver in the same way that traditional cinema, so to say, would be. And not, that's not to discredit Herschel Gordon Lewis or exploitation filmmakers, because I do think right. they're equally as important as like, you know, people who are like Luis Buñuel and Jean-Luc Godard mm-hmm. and Agnes Varda. Like, I think that H.G. Lewis deserves to be on the fucking film, filmmaking. Uh, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, Mount Rushmore. Fucking, I feel like he deserves to be on the, you know, somewhere up there with the with the greats. But, He's a pioneer, man. You know, he is a pioneer, yeah. And I think that, you know, I think it's important to value filmmakers like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, definitely, I don't think that his movies have that traditional, like, they're not going to offer you anything of substance per, per se. But yeah, I think they're important in their own kind of unique, right? But yeah, they're definitely, you're not going to feel satisfied. You have to like, almost like, um, just like check your brain at the door, you know? <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I think I was prepared to kind of just take it in as it was based on his reputation. I mean, he's the godfather. Would, would What's the most applicable title for him? Is the godfather of gore, godfather of splatter horror? Probably godfather of gore. I would say godfather of gore for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, and to be the godfather of anything, especially something as, as utilized as gore, that is a huge thing. And, it, again, it takes a lot of bravery to do that at that time to be like, this is going to piss a lot of people off. (laughs) And, you know, he took the risk and he enjoyed it. It's one thing. It's one thing to have gore like that in your film and try to make me make some sort of statement. Uh, But he really wasn't that concerned with that. I don't think, I mean, I think he genuinely wanted to shock, but I think you get a sense that it was, it was like supposed to be fun. It was, he was having fun with it. It was Mm -hmm. entertaining. Yeah. Um, and I think in the same way of like a John Waters, uh, who, you know, yeah. he knows that there's going to be mm-hmm. an audience for this. There are those weird cats out there that are going to dig it and mm-hmm. no one else is making this. So I have to do it. Like I'm going to do it. And so I do respect that to John. John Waters was a huge, huge Herschel Gordon Lewis fan. Mm-hmm. Like loves him. All the dots are connecting. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, this was the last movie that H.G. Lewis made, and, and like after it was like a thirty-year hiatus, he hadn't made anything else after this, right? Or at least anything in that genre. Um, I guess because he felt, at least in the introduction that I watched, he felt that this was going to be the last movie he ever made, so he put all his money into it and he went all out. So I guess maybe that's why it has this kind of this feeling of significance, like it, like a kind of um, a meta contextual like uh references to his previous work um and and kind of i think making fun of his his other films and also like with the scenes with the protesters maybe even making fun of the people that 
um, criticize him. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it is interesting. This mm-hmm. was it. This was his last swan song to Splatter Films for a while. For a while. So yeah. Star ratings, Carmen? <laughs> Probably four stars for me. <laughs> four stars? Oh, yeah. What about you, Elijah? Are we going like letterbox style, like oh, one yeah. through five? Dude, I'm going to say that it's a 4.5, perhaps a five. Uh, Hell yeah. I think I think, uh, I think, think kind of love it, dude. Yeah, man. Hey. This yeah. is up your alley, though. I mean, obviously, too. Yeah, if, I'm if... all about trash. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think, you know, it's movies like these that really make you take a second look at trash and be like, hey, there's something there's something gold in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I myself, I'm going to give it a 3.5. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I guess I tend to rate, you know, all things considered, right? You know, acting, yeah. whatever, you know script and a little bit mind-boggling uh but who cares it's fun it's it's a good time uh i think like exactly what it sets out to do i had a good time with it and yeah i can totally see why this film spoke to you guys so much and mm-hmm. led you to make gorehouse a thing what about you ray i hope you guys don't kill me but i give it a three but hey, it's one of those bad. it's not bad for Dude, my it's all yeah, good for my you know my rating system i'm like always harsh but like it was like there are entertaining things about this and obviously like i don't know if i would rewatch this particular film but like i am interested in you know some of his work now so that's definitely mm. like saying something you know so yeah solid three i would well, say this is, this is like the higher. introduction oh, okay yeah like uh yeah like uh i mean like give it a, give it a couple more dude okay mm-hmm. so like i don't know he, he's he got some stinkers dude so you know <laughs> you'll watch a couple of those and then you'll be like fuck let me Stinker. watch gorgor girls please <laughs> yeah i mean i'm curious to see what you mean by these stinkers because i like i said i enjoyed this 3.5 so i'm curious to see you know his humble beginnings i suppose yeah i mean i i, I love him to be honest his stinkers they're fucking i think they <laughs> i think they smell pretty good <laughs> well he probably likes the smell of his own stench as well um, so gore house you you already kind of talked about that idea with the you know the barbecue and and um and kind of blending it with this but i just i'm just curious um because like i said me and ray we just watched it mm-hmm. we loved it it's mm-hmm. funny and ray i mean you were even telling me yeah when no i was bullshit watching, no bullshit that you when what i was watching say? it i was literally watching this i was like man i fucking enjoy this film more than i fucking enjoyed gorgo girls because there were just <laughs> i'm being that serious like i actually enjoyed it i was smiling throughout Sick. the entire film and like everything mm-hmm. about it you know um it was shot great obviously the color the neon and just like mm-hmm. how it ends i was just like <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. It was a thoroughly enjoyable film. So Thank I'm you. kind of jealous mm-hmm. that you actually got to watch it as a premiere, Jared. So kind of sucks that <laughs> it I was wasn't there. It was a great there. time. Yeah, but it is what it is. So this is going on record right now. Gore House is better than Gorgo Girls. Okay, that's kind of Damn. messed up. I'm not going to. I mean, you guys are huge fans of that. Farming, so I don't want to think about that. Right They're like, yeah, I'm not going to. Oh, my guy, you're, but you're yeah. praising my movie. Like, what do I do? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a hot take, but 
<laughs> you know what? I think I think Gore House is a five out of five too, man. Hell yeah! There it is. Hell yeah! <laughs> Own it, dude. You heard it here first. It is. It really is. And there's like as you know, I've seen it three times, and it's like I see different things every time, and that's just again, it shows the attention to detail you guys had. I love. Obviously, Ray, you mentioned the look of it, and just the yeah, transitions absolutely. are so mm-hmm. transitions. fucking smooth. Mm-hmm. That was your editing, right, Carmen? Yeah, that was me. Damn, so much clean, mm-hmm. clean cuts and edits. <laughs> I love the transition from when they're standing outside of the brothel, and then just cuts to like the yeah, slow. That's exactly what I was thinking about. That's just like yo, Carmen and I were talking today about how director or editors that direct. Um, have way better transitions than uh, directors that don't edit. Like they know exactly mm-hmm. when to cut. What do you, do you have some it. examples of that? I'm just curious because, like, that's interesting. I wonder if that, like, if there was a director you had in mind that, like, made you realize that because it makes sense. I just I don't know very. I know a lot of writer yeah. director, but I don't know a lot of director editor. I feel like. There's not a lot of specific ones I can think of, but I know I can almost always tell when I'm watching a movie when like I always have to look it up. I'm like, I think the director edited this and I'm almost always right because it just feels so smooth with the edit because as an editor, that's like what I pay attention to the most, I think. Um, But I, I know like Gaspar Noé has edited a few of his movies. That makes sense. Um, Shinya Sugimoto edits his movies. So like I feel like the really is that a uh, that's Tetsuo. Yep, yeah, Tetsuo. Yeah, tetsuo. Iron um, so I feel like the really stylish editors, I feel like, or edits are oftentimes the directors because I feel like they know as they're directing like what they want it to look like mm-hmm. once it's cut together, and that's how they direct. You know. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, having that foresight definitely makes sense because I feel like there is a huge. Like almost like I don't know how you would get around it. Just the kind of divorce of the director vision and the editor vision. Like unless the director is over the editor's shoulder, like the editor has to make a lot of artistic executive decisions uh, based on you know what the final product's going to be, and that is you know that's quite a big gap I think in like execution in the end product. I mean, obviously, I'm sure there's still like liner notes of of certain things that are supposed to go a certain way, but I think you know. I'm not an editor by any means, but the little experience I have editing, it really is a hugely artistic field that is definitely very, very overlooked. Yeah. I think what I love about editing is that it feels like even when I edit things that aren't my movie, it still like kind of feels like my movie, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, I feel like I'm the one like puzzling everything together, you know? Right. And like making yeah, she, it work. She edited the lamb yeah. and she saved my ass, dude. Like <laughs> literally she fucking, the, my movie wasn't going to work. And then she edited it and made it work. You know, they, wow, yeah, I'm the editor, I think what editors, exactly was the issue. Oh fuck. I mean, we had a million, but, uh, I think that Carmen, do you remember an exact issue? I remember, let's see. I'm like, I remember there being a lot, but I don't remember a lot of them now. I know that the stabbing scene was really hard. There's a lot of continuity mm. issues. That's tough. Um, the Yeah, the first day of shooting, the DP didn't record sound mm-hmm. on the camera. So mm-hmm. I had to like oh, manually wow. sync everything. 
with oh my so that gosh. was pretty rough yeah sinking is not fun yeah it's already not fun when it's easy so when it's hard <laughs> it's really not mm-hmm. fun <laughs> we were just talking about um the color of blood in gorgor girls and how like that's such a hard thing to achieve and i thought your guys's blood was fantastic i mean i thought there are certain shots in there that feel iconic that are that are beyond thumbnail worthy they're like framed poster worthy like i think um the shot of jezebel with the knife the black backdrop oh yeah she's kind of lit neon red and the blood's dripping i mean i don't know how many takes that took but it was just beautiful like stuff like that i i definitely can see the even just down to the color of blood is is such an important detail in horror again like i think goes over uh you can tell when there's bad blood and it really kills a scene i feel like oh yeah yeah i didn't feel that here i i found it really fun Um, the color of blood is so yeah it's it's so crucial i feel like Mm. the thing about what i think is cool about blood like blood in films is like i feel like it can be different for like serious movies whether it's like a serious like war movie or injury and you want it to look really realistic and like not necessarily fun whereas like when it's like trashy horror like hg lewis or like even gore house it's like you kind of want it to be colorful Mm -hmm. and like almost unrealistic because it just adds to like the fun of it you know absolutely i think the italians are really good at that too like with giallo and with even their westerns Mm, yeah in mm-hmm. their their crime flicks i mean their blood is like vibrant red and it kind of just is like re- it serves as a reminder that this is fun mm-hmm. violence you know i think like yeah. the darker blood it, it carries a different yeah. tone like this is like this is serious somber violence mm-hmm. and yeah that bright red is just like it's, it's a different feeling entirely uh, do you guys know the story about um martin scorsese um and his kind of battle with the, the mpaa people with taxi driver no what no i don't think so yeah so he basically um after taxi driver was completed um he had to show it to the mpaa and try to get a rating on that thing and they were saying like everything was you know rated r up until the final sequence how bloody it is is going to be a a rated x and c17 and you know that's devastating news Mm -hmm. for a director to hear because it's like uh, you're killing my movie you're killing my masterpiece and this is young scorsese this is still one of the best films he's ever made and you know it was one of the the first films he's ever made and and so he was so torn and devastated about this and angry essentially they had they were holding his baby hostage and so he stayed up all night apparently with a gun and he was like telling everybody he knew was like, I'm going to go kill that fucking guy at the MPA. I'm going to fucking shoot him. Oh I'm going to blow his brains out. I don't <laughs> fucking care. No one's going to stop me. And of course, everybody came to him and they're like, you know, trying to talk him out of it. And he was dead serious. And he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like if they slap an X rating on this thing, I'm going to kill him. I, I'm going to kill him. And so <laughs> finally they talked him down to, they came to this idea that if they just changed the contrast, the color mm-hmm. of the blood in that scene to a darker red, um, to the point where it's almost like a brown, um, that was their solution. So they did oh. just that. They edited it and they changed the color of the blood. They said that they edited it down. And because it just had a, a different visual stimuli 
on the MPAA people, they gave it the rated R. So that was all it took. It was just to change the color of the blood. And it had that profound of an effect. And it was could have even been life or death for that, you know, MPA. That's dude. nuts, dude. So, um, yeah, it's crazy how much difference blood can make in a film. Color, at least. Dude, I sort of wish he would have shot that guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm telling you, MPA, man. man. I tell that story and, like, I tell that story sometimes and I feel like, you know, people are like, man, Scorsese's kind of crazy. And I'm like, dude, honestly, until you've created something and you really put a fucking shit ton of hours and passion and time and blood, sweat and tears into it, until you've done that, you know, you won't understand where he's coming from. But if you have, you know exactly where he's coming from. It sounds crazy, but it's like, honestly, if I made Taxi Driver, and somebody was going to prevent that thing from That's true. You know, being seen by the world. Like, you know, you probably have some crazy thoughts. <laughs> you got a lot of bad ideas in your head. You got some bad ideas in my head. Huh? <laughs> As is Travis Bickle says. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I can't believe they were going to slap an X rating on that. For what, yeah. too? You know, it's just like, I mean, there was a lot of rating bullshit going on. Dude, they slapped an X rating on Midnight Cowboy. I know. That's bullshit. Didn't it win Best Picture, too? Yeah. Yeah, it did. It won Best Picture, and it's, like, over X rated. Yeah, which I, I just don't get. I mean, I don't under. I mean, I get uh, the only thing, I, I guess, is just um, the depiction of gay culture, maybe, or, or that counterculture in the maybe. 60s. Because, like, there was not a movie like Midnight Cowboy in in the sixties, like not till it came out, like that was huge, huge for its time. And I mean, it's, it's largely accepted that, um, you know, uh, Rico or Ratso and Joe Buck kind of have this homosexual tension that is never fully addressed, but it is, you know, kind of, I guess there's enough context there. There's enough to draw that conclusion Enough for even um, the actors, you know, uh, Dustin Hoffman and um, oh, John Voight. John Voight, yeah. So, and John Voight, um, you know, they even went up to the director was like, hey, these guys are, are queer, right? And they're like, don't say that because we're already having a hard time getting this movie made. So don't bring that up to anybody. All right. Like he basically that was the director and the writer saying yes, but just shut the fuck up. Don't <laughs> say it out loud because it's already crazy that this movie's getting made at all. So, yeah, yeah, could have could have been a number of things in that film that why is rated X man. Uh, fuck the MPAA. Right. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> it's bullshit. But, you know, it's crazy, too. Now, I, I don't even think about ratings. Like, when's the last time you like recognized a rating on a movie you know it's like it's true as a kid it's everything it determines Mm -hmm. if you're going to see something or not at least depending on how you grew up but (laughs) you know depending on how if you can get into a ticket get a ticket to the movie rating is everything but nowadays i don't even pay attention to it yeah i yeah i suppose i don't either yeah it's it's weird like it just becomes irrelevant (laughs) it just comes like this invisible uh you know measurement that is just doesn't matter unless you're underage or you're the director trying to get your movie seen. <laughs> so, but yeah, I would say, would you guys, would you guys rate gore 
house a rated R, rated X? What are you guys giving that? Uh, um, I would definitely want if I were to make it. I don't know. I guess I would want it to be rated R. <laughs> you you could have an X rated like director's cut though. Hey, you know, yes. Like that. Yeah. What would be yeah. in the was there? Okay, was there stuff that didn't make it into the film? I feel like there had to have been, obviously. But was there? Were there any visuals that you know, like did the girls get bloodied up more or something? Like, was there anything of that nature? They there was a lot of shots, like a lot more shots of them getting more bloody. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of like, like what made sense and how right. it like flowed together and like. A lot. I was definitely restricted because when I first made the movie, it was for school. So like, I was only allowed to have a ten minute movie. So I had to cut out a lot of stuff, um, and a lot of it. Like sometimes you kind of like when you make movies, you learn that there's scenes and lines that like are really you don't need in the movie, and sometimes you need someone else there, which is also a hard part of like editing your own movies. I think for me, it's like hard for me to let go of these shots that I would have got because I'm like attached to them. But then, like, when I have someone else, like, another editor look at it, they're like, oh, you don't need that. Like, that's unnecessary. Mm. You know, it's too much. It's just filler. And it's, like, sometimes you kind of need that, like, person behind you to be like, hey, like, it's going to be better if you get this out of here. Like, (laughs) you know. Yeah, I think it is definitely having, like, that editor, that person, script supervisor. Um, I can only imagine because, Yeah. yeah, especially when you're writing, you know, versus being there on the shoot day, you know, getting something done. Uh, you start to realize like, okay, is this scene, is this line, is this shot really worth all that effort? Yeah. And even when you do it, it's just like, is this even going to get used? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, but it's still fun. I mean, that's, that's again, like what Elijah was saying, like the uncut X-rated version, that's what it's all about. <laughs> and I feel like there's some X-rated versions that include like significant scenes that are missing yeah. from the, you know, final or the theatrical cut. And then there's some that are like, um, like for this for scream for example like the uncut of that is just like very minimal extra like a couple seconds of of mm. a scene that are not you know like i i know i've i've looked up the differences and it's like very negligible in my opinion like obviously i'm going to want to watch the uncut but like it's not like they're reducing the amount of blood or anything like that it's it's interesting i think i wonder how much of that is altered for pacing or whatever but I think that it is still fun to do that though, because I bet there was some fun stuff that no one knows about. None of the audience knows. Only the Gore House people on set know. <laughs> fun little, oh yeah, fun little <laughs> secrets. So yeah, that's I, I definitely like. I said you guys did great. The premiere was awesome, super immersive, very realized. Um, and yeah, I, I think I definitely think if this was meant to be a tribute to Herschel Gordon Lewis. Not only did it succeed, but in Ray's opinion, it exceeded. It did. Um, so that's I great. I stand by that. That's great. <laughs> that's awesome. I love that. So yeah, it's a five. It's a five banger all around mm-hmm. here. No questions. Um, five banger. I'll put it on Letterbox soon. Oh hell yeah! You better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> five banger. And, Once I get a poster, uh, just waiting on that poster. <laughs> Are you guys planning on releasing that publicly or is it, you know, what is the, what are the plans for Gorehouse? Um, so we're going to submit it to festivals and the rule with festivals is that you can't 
post it anywhere or else they won't like accept oh. it because they want it to be exclusive to their festival you know yeah um yeah so that'll probably, it's like a world it's gonna I mean, do like a tour you know yeah well that's exciting yeah, that's i dope. really you know uh elijah you just went to a film festival in austin was it yeah yeah uh underworld slash other worlds in austin carmen carmen went to yeah it was fun uh, then that was for the lamb so that was a, another project you both collaborated on and that must have been awesome just to have that experience of not only going to the festival but having a film premiere there uh, just being amongst uh, that talent but you know having that communal experience for your own film like that's really cool so I hope that you guys get to do that again with this movie. Gore I'm House. sure we will. Dude. The Lamb and Gore House. 2022 is a big year for y'all. Like that is really <laughs> awesome. Sorry. I, I, I hope, and, I hope it didn't um, sound arrogant or anything. I just, uh, <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I think uh, Carmen made a cool movie. You know what I mean? I just think yeah. that, I think people are going to dig it. Oh no, dude. I believe it. The premiere speak for itself. It was hugely successful and the hard work that you guys put into it definitely paid off. So you know enjoy it live it all up thanks dude of course well with that being said maybe to temper your arrogance <laughs> elijah and <laughs> just to test the scholars of horror here oh my God. i have come up with a horror film trivia and um you know the rules are pretty simple here's how we play I ask a question. If you get it right, Steve lives. All right, so you got to save Steve. All right, make sure Steve <laughs> lives. That's all there is to it. Cool. Um, all right, are you both ready? Let's do it. Yes. Okay. Question number one. Friday the 13th villain, Jason Voorhees, is one of the most iconic names in horror. But in the early writing stages, he had a different name. What was that name? Wow, dude, you're bringing out some uh, some deep shit here. This is hard. God damn. Uh, yeah, no, I don't even fucking... Carmen, do you have any idea? <laughs> I definitely don't know. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Elijah, you don't know? No, dude, this is a hard one. You got me stumped. Uh, I don't Victor, know. Victor... It was uh, like... So I'll I'll just say this: Voorhees was always going to be the surname, but the first name okay. was different. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I'm going to say Jeff Voorhees. I'm sorry, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> it is actually Josh Voorhees. Hey. Josh oh, was the original name. And it was um, <laughs> changed because he thought it sounded too nice, which I agree. Yeah. Josh seems like a friendly <laughs> dude. Have you ever heard a killer <laughs> named really Josh, better man? than Jeff. Like, really? <laughs> That's so funny. Well, that was just the warm-up round. Warm-up <laughs> so round. here we go. Into oh, number shit. two. All right. In Evil Dead 2, what familiar slasher prop hangs above the door in the tool shed? Oh, come on. Freddy's, Freddy's gloves, gloves, dude. Yes. Very good. <laughs> hey. You are correct. Freddy's glove. Moving on. Number three. 
What was the original working title for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah, these are hard. Carmen, do you have any idea? I do. N- I don't know. Do you? <laughs> what's What's a hint? Can we get a hint? <laughs> uh, it's, it's two words. Two words. Two words. And it's oh, a really strange name. <laughs> I'm looking it oh, up. I can't man. even find it, bro. <laughs> this is me. Maybe like. <laughs> Maybe like Chainsaw Murders or something? That is not correct. It is Head Cheese was the original working title. (laughs) I mean, I don't understand. Why is it Head Cheese? I have no idea. That sounds more like a Peter Jackson title when he was in this. (laughs) That does. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, um, all right, number four. In the original Evil Dead. A poster of another classic horror film hangs above the bed. What is the name of that film? Man. Uh, Carmen, do you know? No. I'm thinking, I have a guess. I'm thinking maybe Night of the Living Dead. That is a good guess, but it is another Wes Craven the hills have eyes oh man the hills have eyes was uh, you know Raimi was really throwing out the craven love in both of his films dude i don't know if you know this or not that uh wes craven and sam Raimi went back to for back and forth a little bit uh because uh in a nightmare on elm street uh nancy's watching uh the evil dead to stay awake or whatever oh yeah that's right so they were kind of playing a little reference tag with each other flirting back and forth in their films (laughs) that's cute flirting cute (laughs) number five how many liters of fake blood were used in the final sequence of brain dead man is it 200 it is not 200 do you want to try to save oh, it? I've read this before. <laughs> <laughs> Elijah, you're the lifeline here. You can Man, save I it. mean, to be honest, I, I was thinking exactly what Carmen said, but I'm going to spice it up. I'll say like uh, maybe like 215. Oh, so close. <laughs> A little warmer, but it's 300 liters. So you were in the right oh, track. Damn. Just, you know, changing that first digit. 300 liters which is makes sense because you guys showed me that movie and it is insane like they're literally slipping and sliding on blood (laughs) and it's just like sprinkling it's amazing 300 liters well spent um so close close now number six what substance was used for blood in the shower scene for alfred hitchcock's psycho Damn, oh, I man. think I know this. Do you know this I feel like one, I Carmen? should know this. I know it. What is it? Hershey's chocolate. Hey, that yes. was my guess. Hey. Chocolate syrup. Hell yeah. Just talking about how important blood oh, is. Oh, yeah. So film is black and white. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to use chocolate. 
Awesome. I know. All right. I'm glad that this was a challenge. I was scared. I was really I scared that I was you were going to Bro, these are laugh hard. in my face, Elijah. <laughs> but I'm like, okay. Dude, I never yeah, in a million years would have thought that Texas Chainsaw Massacre was originally titled <laughs> Head Cheese. <laughs> Head Cheese. Now you know. I mean, that's like a secret reference right there. That, that could be the name of a band. Yeah. Who knows? That would be a great band name for sure. Yeah. Right? It's badass. Right? At the very least, the song name, you know? Um, so we're moving on. So this is out of 10. We're moving on to number seven. In the 1992 film Candyman, Tony Todd negotiated a bonus for every bee sting he suffered on set. How much did he get paid per sting? I know it. Carmen, do you know? I... I know I've read this before. Was it like seven thousand dollars per, or is that crazy? Not seven thousand. Too high. Ooh. Too high. I think it was. Uh, wasn't it something like? Uh, wasn't it one thousand? And then he ended up securing like thirty grand or something from bee stings. So you are correct. It is one thousand dollars. So you got that. But for the bonus, bonus question, how many times was he actually stung? Yeah, it was like... You know, uh, this doesn't count against you or not, so this is a bonus. You can get an extra point if you get it right. Didn't he get stung like 25 times or something? Ooh, so close. It is 23 times. Oh, so (laughs) close, so close. I I mean, I I should, should give that to you. Um, okay. Well, $1,000 per sting. That is quite the negotiation. That's pretty worth Good it. Good on huh? Tony Todd for that. 23 Absolutely. grand? Hey, why not? I would get stung 23 times. Yeah, fuck it. I don't care. For that? Yeah. <laughs> I get stung uh, like 200 right. times. Right? <laughs> shit. Why stop at 23? That's true. Like, shit. Bring it on. You know, I have to interject here with, um, since we're already just talking about bees. Um, so there's a David Lynch film called ball of bees and it's loggable on letterboxd and it's one minute long you can watch it on youtube it's called full title is in all caps ball of bees number one it's a short film technically and um i discovered it because i was going i was juicing honestly you guys know what juicing is on letterboxd i do it's uh, uh no nah. it's just shamelessly bumping up your watch numbers by watching a bunch of small little short films, you know, like that. Like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. If you want to log your short, I do it. But, you know, it's, I guess it could be seen as frowned upon because, you know, you're not really earning that watch if it's a minute long of a ball of bees, you know, but I was in my, I was just in my juicing mode and I discovered this film. I was like, what the fuck is a ball of bees? And I watched it and it is just that as the title suggests, it's a ball of bees on a tree. And um, as soon as I reviewed it, it got all of these other people logging reviews for it. Like had no had no views, no logs, no reviews. I was the first one. And then all these reviews popped up. So not to brag, but I started something and then it got taken down because somebody was like, this is not a movie. And I don't know what fucking narc ratted out ball of bees, but it got taken off of Letterboxd. And uh, that Man. is until um, a friend of the show, my good friend Alana, went to the movie database and re-uploaded it. So it is now 
once again loggable yeah, I didn't ball even know of you beads. could do that. <clears throat> I didn't know either, honestly. But she did it because the Ball of Bees fandom is dying and we need to save it. So <laughs> go Yeah, we'll check watch out it ball immediately. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Go log Ball of Bees. It's a movement. David Lynch's unseen masterpiece, a true deep cut. And uh, yeah, so I would get stung by all of those Ball of Bees <laughs> if I was getting paid $1,000 for bee sting. Yeah, me too. Uh, but moving on. Number eight. In 1982's Poltergeist, whose hands were featured in the infamous scene where the paranormal investigator's face is torn off? So this is sort of like a secret cameo. Um, It's not the actor's hands, but it's someone else's. Spielberg? Yes, you got it. Ding, ding, ding. Spielberg's hands. That's sick. And number nine. In 1979, Paul Battison, who played the radiologist in The Exorcist, turned out to be a real-life murderer when he was convicted of killing a film industry journalist, Addison Verrill. He also had boasted that he was responsible for a series of unsolved murders of gay men in Manhattan but a direct connection was never found. This bizarre event inspired the making of which film? Wait, wait, wait. I'm just tripping over what you just said. I had no idea about that. Mm-hmm. So, wh- Yes, so I'll, it's a lot. So the radiologist in you know the very bloody, gnarly scene in The Exorcist, that guy who was an actual radiologist in real life, turned out to be a real murderer. He killed a film journalist um and then he once was convicted boasted in prison that he was responsible for a series of unsolved murders of specifically gay men in manhattan um this was in the around the 80s so uh but a direct connection was never found so he was most likely bullshitting but this whole experience inspired the making of another film I don't know. Carmen, I think I know it. What is it? Um, was it was it cruising? It is cruising. That yes. is very good. <laughs> All right. And the final number 10. This will bring it all home. Are you ready? Yes. Ready as you'll ever be. In Elijah Ziegler's 2021 short film, The Lamb, how many times is the sacrificial lamb stabbed? And this one is for you specifically, Elijah. You should know this. (laughs) Oh my god, dude. Uh, (laughs) I think it's like 12 times or something, right? 12 times, final answer? Uh... I'm going to say nine times, final answer. Oh, going down this time. Carmen, do you want to tell him the correct answer? <laughs> Since you edited it? It's 15 times. <laughs> 15 times. I remember I had counted that when I first watched the film. And I was like, damn, that's a lot of times. And I remember thinking I'm going to use that as a trivia question in 
a couple years for Elijah. <laughs> a couple years. Dude. <laughs> I had no idea it was that many times. <laughs> How many times did you write it in the script? Do you remember? I think I think in the script it was like probably uh like around that much, like fifteen or twenty times. It was an entire page of stab. yeah i just wrote stab 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 on an entire page that's amazing no that's wait like like full-on like um all work and no play makes jack a dull boy style like (laughs) yeah oh wow that's awesome and you narrowed it down to nine you gotta you're selling yourself short (laughs) yeah well we had we had way carmen didn't we have even more stabs at first um i don't remember I think I don't. Yeah, remember. me neither. But because I the night of the premiere when I saw it, um, at uh, slashers or at the time it was the horror bar, um, I remember because th- I we watched it twice back to back. So I was like, oh, this time I'm gonna count, and I was surprised at the number. I was like, damn, fifteen stabs, and I I guess I remembered because it stuck in my my head. <laughs> um, but that's great, and I think obviously there were probably more, but then the editing chopped it up or made it more i don't know but that is the horror trivia i am so glad honestly that i was able to stand toe to toe with y'all because <laughs> dude I was those are I was some scared. good questions yeah that man i i went i went deep i went deep but next time it's gonna get even harder trust me so <laughs> oh no that was horror trivia um and i wanted to i guess we could just go right into other things we watched throughout the week, right? Yeah. Do you, uh, we could start with you, Carmen. I guess. So since the premiere, me and Elijah have been getting back into the Herschel Gordon Lewis box set that we have. We actually only have two movies left in it to watch. Um, oh, wow. We watched. How many are there total? Uh, 10? Uh, 14. Oh, 14. This week, we watched How to Make a Doll, but I wouldn't recommend it, probably, so we don't have to talk about that one. Um, I Elijah showed me All American Murder, which is really fun. It has Christopher Walken. Oh, that's right. Um, that is a really cool one. It's a good deep cut. Um, I also saw Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Has anyone seen that yet? I have not seen oh, it yet. I, I really want that. to. Yeah. Yeah, Ray, we should. It's pretty good, dude. I had a good time. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it was fun. And Elijah, I remember you described All American Murder as like Lynch meets like what, like crime thriller cop movie or something? It's like, it's it's uh, Twin Peaks meets Beverly Hills 90210 (laughs) meets an episode of CSI Miami. Oh, my God. That's amazing. That's mad. Fuck, I need to see that. Yeah, it's really fun. Anything Twin Peaks like has my attention, especially because I do kind of like the the kind of bizarro cop world of Twin Peaks. You know, Gordon Cole and mm-hmm. his character. Which, by the way, Ray, did you know that Gordon Cole, that's Lynch's character in Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. did you know that's a name from Sunset Boulevard? Yeah, Gordon Cole. He's the guy that he calls, and he's just like, "Oh, Gordon Cole. Who's Gordon Cole? Oh, he was trying to borrow oh, the car shit. for." Um, this guy knows his shit. All right. Hey, Sunset Boulevard. Sure. Come on. Before you get bro. the tattoo, man, I just want to make sure. I don't even you know. know if I'm going to get it now. <laughs> but still, you know, I got that trivia going on with Sunset Boulevard. You know this. Maybe, yeah, maybe next time I'll have to do some Sunset Boulevard trivia on you. But Dude, you'll kill me. Um, you will. 
Yeah, man, I'm brutal. Apparently, I'm just like ruthless. Are <laughs> <laughs> you using Elijah's own movie on him? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I um, definitely want to check that one out. But, and did you watch anything else, Elijah? Uh, yeah, I'll start with my first one. Um, uh, I watched. I mean, I watched quite a bit of stuff this week. But um, if I'm going to keep it, if I'm going to kind of x out some of the trash shit that I watched. Uh, I watched a giant spider movie called Arachnid from 2001 that Brian mm. Usna, the director of society and producer of like reanimator, he oh. uh, produced this movie. Um, and yeah, it's not very good, but uh, it was, uh, it was fine. Yeah. This is pre eight legged freaks. That's pretty impressive. I mean, yeah, Eight Legged Freaks, but just post uh, arachnophobia. So I remember that being yeah, like I, a there's spider a, one. There's some good, like, uh, practical spider monster. Like, there's, like, a giant spider in it. And there's, like, a scene where this dude, uh, he gets, like, I don't know, he gets, like, spider goo on his fucking arm or something, and it somehow infects his body with spider DNA or something, and he starts vomiting up spider eggs. What? That's like the uh, fly, yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's pretty it's pretty brutal, but uh aside from like that, it, there's not really a whole lot going on. Who would win in a fight? Jeff Goldblum's the fly or this arachnid <laughs> monster thing? Uh, dude, I'm thinking arachnid monster cuz it's got eight legs. Damn. Oh, that's right. That's true. I'm just that's like, true. you know, politically aligned with uh with Jeff Goldblum's character just cuz he says that he could be the first insect politician and i'm like i'd vote for that man that's <laughs> insanity that's literally insanity oh yeah no. jeremy i'm with you i'm voting for him too <laughs> that guy's he knows a lot about what he's talking about um yeah no, that's cool arachnid um i guess like the f- the fun thing that i watched for the very first time was uh mad max 2 road warrior oh cool uh never seen it before i'd seen the first mad max and it's good but kind of underwhelming uh like i guess i i appreciate it more knowing because i fury road was actually the first mad max film i'd ever seen and it's one of just the best action movies ever made period yeah and i wanted to kind of go back into that series and mad max one is takes place mostly in present day it's like on the brink of the apocalypse sort of dystopian but still very much in our world or at least you know the 70s australia world um and it's not really till the end where it starts to feel like mad max um so it's okay uh, the first one but this one this is where it becomes mad max this is like you know those big shots of all the crazy cars in the desert and they're chasing after him and those those kinds of scenes it's a lot it's very cartoonish and silly and um, wacky and weird Um, but the action is awesome and uh, there's a theory that I don't know um, if you know who the feral kid is in Mad Max 2 but there's a theory that that's actually Mad Max in Fury Road which kind of makes sense but I don't know it's just a theory I don't know if that's I don't know if that's um, holds up because I'm not mm-hmm. like a Mad Max expert, but um, I do kind of feel that. That'd be pretty possible. cool. Yeah. Maybe I want it to be true. Yeah, I don't know. But 
What about you, Ray? Uh, I watch the well. The first one was uh, the Nice Guys. I rewatched it. It was just like something that I have been wanting to rewatch, and I think like it took me like three days just to like fully comprehend or just fully watch it because I was just like doing it while I was doing other things. You gave but, it a four and a half. Man, that's that like high for you, dude. That movie's fucking awesome, man. It's just like so perfect. It's fucking Ryan Gosling, mm-hmm. L.A. detective story in the seventies, bro. And his like both of those guys, just like their characters, the dynamic of Russell Crowe's character and like Ryan Gosling. I think it's just awesome. I think they both have like a lot of, you know, depth with their characters and and the loss that they've experienced. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously I can kind of relate to like in some sense what they felt. So, I mean, I thought it was just great. I think the script was amazing. That's what I usually base like my scores off of is just usually the script and of course like if it hits my taste. LA Detective Story. I mean, you got me. Ryan Gosling, he got me. So it's just like it's just amazing, and like the co- comedy is just amazing, super funny, and it's is this violent your highest in some rated ways. Comedy, like it has to be right. Maybe <sighs> other than the apartment, which I don't know. I mean, I guess that's oh a comedy, no, the apartment but... was a five star. Yeah, yeah. Well, but... no, that's like a rom com. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. This is like I would say like action like a, comedy, but yeah, action comedy. Um, I just really like Ryan Gosling in this, and like his, I guess, just his character it's and the, the, the sense of loss. It It is, honestly. It's the Gosling bump. It's like, it was a lot better than I thought it was when I first watched it. And they're like playing it at the new Beverly, I think, in like, I think like next week. So I kind of want to rewatch it again. But you're a fanatic, dude. You're a nice guy. You've gone full nice nice guy. guy. Wow. I'm a nice guy. It's different now. I'm blown away. (laughs) Because like even your favorite comedies, like, that you revisit all the time rom-coms like they don't pack they don't pass four stars that's always been your threshold they pass five what about oh i mean the apartment it was like that's like a that's a five apartment it's really like, wilder. apartment falls more into classic hollywood like yeah like you know it's prestige you know it's billy wilder so it's like at it is it really what is my favorite rom-com i don't even know bro forgetting sarah marshall no no there's no way like an actual like one that I'm just like, it's near a masterpiece. There's definitely something. Like Harold and Maude or something, maybe? I think Harold and Maude's probably a five-star for sure, right? Oh, damn. I yeah, you that. have to see that, Ray. But is that also classics? Like, Yeah, it falls into oh, yeah. classic. Like, you know, I'm, like, I'm trying to think, because like, I'll rate a comedy five stars if it, if it really earns it, but, you know. Dude, Pineapple Express and Tropic Thunder are five stars. Oh, Tropic Thunder is funny. Express is like... Yeah, that to me yeah, is yeah. Pineapple like looks funny too. My, yeah. See what I mean? Your tone is like you know those movies you love. I mean, you're like they fall into not, like raunchy lowbrow comedy, and I get it. But I yeah. love them. <laughs> it has to be like a perfect balance of everything. I think so. That's just that's just me. But yeah, the nice guys four and a half out of five. Did you give uh, everything everywhere the five or no? I gave Give it a four point seventy five, but that was for the memes. I didn't do it because, like, I would have, I should have gave it a five, honestly. But I was being idi- that's idiotic, comedy, right? But it's again, it's not uh, like I guess so. It's not like stoner comedy, or it's not like you know, it is. A, it's like a know. serious romance comedy. It was like everything. So, yeah, I, I would give that a five star. I should change that to a five star right now. Do it actually. right now. Give it the fucking extra twenty five. <laughs> give it that quarter drop. <laughs> I have to. I have to. Yeah, it's only right. Do you guys think that movie will win an Oscar this year? It probably for something technical yeah. or Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. If she gets yeah, nominated, yeah. she could win. Um, because I feel like the year's been pretty dry. Yeah. In terms of like, at least, I mean, we're a little over halfway, so I don't know. We're entering fall, so we'll yeah. see. We'll see. I mean, for mm-hmm. those kinds of movies, you know. 
yeah. like the ones that would actually end up in the award ceremonies. But yeah. What about you, Carmen? Did you watch anything else? Um, I have been slacking on movies lately because I've just been so busy. I get um, it. Yeah. I watched that whole premiere. Respect. I know the premiere really took it out of me. Um, <laughs> you watched Gore House like three times at least, right? So there you <laughs> at go. least, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really liked Nope. I thought that was awesome. Oh, I want to um, rewatch it so nice. bad. Yeah, I do. I feel, yeah. I feel jealous that you guys have rewatched it because I I know that's a movie that only gets better on rewatches. Yeah, it does. I love it so much. And I already, I can already feel the cult status like just brewing. Yeah, just yeah. brewing mm-hmm. and churning like it's. Yeah, I think it's it's my favorite uh, Jordan Peele movie. Oh, interesting. I think it has potential to be too. I'm yeah. like, I'm gonna like let it get there for me because I think it's going to, and I want to like, I, I could go on Letterbox right now and be like, "Fuck it, I'll give it the <laughs> retrospective 0.5. But you know, I want, I want to watch it again, and and it yeah, earns it. Same. You know. So you guys, you guys watched that in, uh, you guys watched that in theaters twice. You guys went back to see it a, a second time. I mean, what were the revelations for you? I'm curious. I mean, without obviously spoiling because it's a little bit still new but you know were there any was there anything that kind of stood out to you more on a second watch uh for me personally i don't know i paid way more attention this time so i feel like a lot of people watched nope the first time and didn't really uh just let the movie take them for a ride i feel like a lot of people had this like preconceived idea that they had to crack some sort of social thematic code inside of the movie and it took away from a lot of people's viewing experience when I think that Nope Mm -hmm. actually functions as a very simple story. It's Mm -hmm. literally just a group of people in the desert try to figure out what's going on with this UFO in the sky. And Mm -hmm. I think that um, when I, and I I was able to watch it under that guise the first time, but I still was like trying to find a code to crack and, this time I sort of just like let the movie take me for a ride, which is ironic because I ended up paying way more attention to like sort of the thematic um, little nugs that mm-hmm. Jordan Peele kind of laced throughout the movie. And I paid a lot more attention to um, just, I think that Jordan Peele, one of his strengths is like little flourishes of surrealist imagery that have a lot of meaning and impact behind, mm-hmm. you know, their existence in the movie. And I paid attention to a lot of that stuff, you know. I, I don't want to get too into it because I feel like I could honestly just come off probably, I don't know, maybe like pretentious or something like that. But, you know, I, I just paid attention to like the upright shoe um, yes. during the scene with Gordy. The shoe and, and the Gordy scene. Yeah, well, just the whole Gordy scene in general, you know, is like something that mm-hmm. I think people neglect an awful lot. People are like, oh, the scene is pointless. And I, and I don't agree with that. I think that scene is pretty much like, you know, the whole, like, that's the movie, really. Like, that's why the movie mm-hmm. exists thematically. So all these people yeah. who are, like, all thematically hung up on it, I'm like, dude, just go fucking analyze the Gordy scene, dude, which is a really freaking yeah. horrifying scene. Like, you know, it I think is. that the movie, for the most part, isn't that scary, but that Gordy scene is, like, so unnerving to watch. But, yeah, um, and then I paid, yeah, I just paid a lot of attention to, the sort of surrealist imagery that Jordan Peele conjured up, like even the, even, you know, like the black horse being trapped in a glass box in front of an audience, you know, being sacrificed to this big giant UFO creature 
I think has just got a lot of, you know, uh, a lot to say. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just, uh, I let it take me for the ride that it wanted to take me on. And I thought it was really fun. Damn. You're really, you're really making me want to give this thing a fucking four and a half right now. Like <laughs> I'm, I definitely agree with a lot of what you're saying. Like, cause, um, yeah, I think I was one of those people that was a little bit hung up. I was like half, I was halfway. I was like, let, I was holding on to like trying to find what the movie was trying to say, but also like kind of going along with the ride, but I didn't fully let go. I don't think. And so that maybe prevented me, you know, it wasn't just trying to crack the code, but also kind of trying to see, you know, where it all fits together. Like I knew that the Gordy scene wasn't going to have some direct explanation for everything. I knew that much, but I guess, you know, there are so many moments like that in the film that um, I feel like, you know, you kind of have to sit with uh, at least after a first watch mm-hmm. and let it and, and process it, at least for me and process it and then kind of, you know, want to get back on the ride. Yeah. And that's how I feel right now. It's like, I, I got off and I was like, what was that? And I, but I don't know what it was. I want to go back on though. It was actually a lot more straightforward than I expected, but yeah, you know, and, and there's so much in this movie that is so made for me. Like it's got Westerns and sci-fi in it. And it's also like huge tribute to Hollywood um, in general, classic Hollywood. And it's also a critique on Hollywood, you know, as the best Hollywood movies are and um, just visually brilliant. And uh, I would say even honestly, as we mentioned, I know Ray, you don't have the same reverence for fries, but seeing the fries, (laughs) the fries building I hate it. Was like there, you know man. that. Well, you had worked at a different one. To be fair, I mean you, the UFO true. one was, that was the cool. best fries. Yeah, and you know especially because I have so many memories of going there. Like to put it in perspective, Elijah and Carmen, like fries in L.A. That Burbank one with the UFO, that was like our entertainment. I guess you could say, but it was even bigger because it was like had like it was an electronic store had like TVs and everything, but they did have an awesome movie collection. And, um, so I, every time I went there, like they had all the boutique Blu-ray stuff and it was all sci-fi themed, like, you know, the day the earth stood still giant ants in there, mm-hmm. you know, giant, like octopus monster and aliens. It was really cool. And it, they closed it down. It's been closed oh, down for sucks, at least man. a couple of years. Right. Right. Is it COVID? Sure, yeah. COVID. A couple of years. No, they were just going out. They were just not having yeah. as many sales. Everyone was going to Best Buy or ordering online and like. Mm-hmm. yeah we didn't really have the best website to be honest so it always that sucks, sucks. <laughs> yeah i mean they price matched that was cool like, that you was could just yeah. go in there mm-hmm. that, i love the price matching like you literally i mean obviously within the realms of like amazon not like ebay right yeah but like you'd be like oh this blu-ray is like 35 here but it's you know mm-hmm. 28 on amazon they're like all right fuck it i was like dude what store does that you know like it's not that's true yeah so i don't know I, I still went out of business. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, maybe that wasn't the best business model, but um, but you know, just seeing them in the parking lot and like going in, it was obviously a different interior, but like stuff like yeah. that, where it was like, yeah, this movie kind of is a little bit made for me. Like, I kind of, I, yeah. I love the stuff here. So, nope is very rad, dude. I'm glad to hear that you want to give it another shot. I think the only other, I mean, I think another one worth mentioning is probably Terrifier. Uh, have you guys ever heard of that? Uh, movie it's like a spooky killer clown slasher movie oh, oh yes yeah. i i know exactly what you're talking about yeah yeah i watched that this week and uh that's a pretty 
pretty uh, gnarly movie, dude. Um, it's like way more kind of gory and dark and fucked up than I thought it would be. Um, but it, I actually really dug it. Uh, it's like it was only made for 35k, so it's oh, pretty, whoa. you know, yeah. it's pretty rough around the edges. And uh, I'm pretty impressed with what they did. But I think like what impresses me the most about that movie is that it feels kind of like a modern day exploitation movie in that it doesn't really feel or it doesn't really seem like there's a purpose for that movie existing other than to just throw 84 minutes of blood and gore in the audience's <laughs> face, um, which is like. You know, and not only just blood and gore, but like some pretty like offensive stuff, I would say. It's kind of it's kind <laughs> of offensive. But uh, so, you know, tread, tread, tread if you want. But um, which I don't know if, as someone who appreciates exploitation movies, I think that we kind of not that I'm like, you know, I, I'm not that I'm trying to criticize our social climate too much. But I do think it. I appreciate a movie that is not afraid to go. In a pl- go to a place that you know people don't necessarily mm-hmm. feel comfortable mm-hmm. with, you know. And Terrifier kind of does that, but also the fucking clown in the movie, dude. His name's Art the Clown, and he's like legitimately creepy. It's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, he's a freaky guy. Yeah, I've seen the pictures of him. He looks. I mean, I would put him above Pennywise and the clown from Spawn. Yeah, and for sure. I don't know who's another one. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, he looks fucking creepy and I, I kind of agree. I mean, it's just with film and with art, it's like, you kind of have to, you know, just decide for yourself, yeah. you know, like decide for yourself what, if it speaks to you, even if it does make you uncomfortable, is that a part of the experience that you find interesting, you know, especially with exploitation films, like the ones that make you uncomfortable, like, or, or the ones that are a little bit daring and they push the envelope, you know, I think it is tricky nowadays um but ultimately i mean that's that's art right you know you kind of have to yeah decide Mm -hmm. for yourself you know well give Um, give terrifier watch if you want to see some some pretty some pretty gnarly clown carnage because yeah (laughs) he's a freaky freaky villain dude i'm down i'm I'm actually interested now thirty five thousand dollar budget like i want to see what that looks like and how that yeah that's true what can be accomplished with that because i'm always I'm always so impressed with these micro budget, you know, miracle films that just, I mean, I, I don't know about, you know, the terrifier being a, a miracle film, but in terms of what they, you know, achieved with the money they had and the vision they had, like, it sounds like it was successful. Cause I've seen a lot of people talking about this one. So yeah, that's pretty rad. Yeah. There's one scene that that'll uh, shake you up real good. Uh, it's probably why it's kind of infamous. Okay. Mm. Interesting. I'm more intrigued now. <laughs> um, I guess. So I watched a few other things and like, you know, two of them are rewatches. I watched big Lebowski while I was assembling some furniture. You know, I've seen that movie like at least 10 times. It doesn't, there's nothing else I can say about it besides it's hilarious and never gets old. Um, long goodbye. Definitely. I rewatched that, but the, and that movie's just amazing. It's just the coolest fucking movie. It's so up my alley. Um, but the one I really just really wanted to talk about um, was yesterday I decided to, I had planned to embark on the Satan Tango journey. 
And Satan Tango is the infamous seven hour and 20 minute long Hungarian film. Yes, it is. um, Was it's on the Criterion channel until the Wednesday, the 31st of you have seven hours to clear (laughs) before then you can watch it. Um, But, you know, I've been I've known about this film for a while and it's sort of like has that notoriety for its length, but it's also very highly rated. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, is it really that good? Or it's like, if you watch something for almost mm-hmm. eight hours, like you kind of have to give it five stars, right? Cause what the fuck was the point? I don't know. I, I have to decide for myself, but I finally decided after months and months and months, I cleared yesterday, my Saturday to watch this film. I was going to do it all in one sitting. That's the, that's the preferred way. You know, for a, fo- a film like that, it's like a marathon. You know, you have to you have to do it in one sitting. And um, I was watching it with a friend, and we got about an hour in, and then my shit froze, and I was like, "Huh, I cleared my whole day, so what's going on here? Like, this should not be happening. I've never had you know issues with my internet." And um, I fucked around with the modem. We were back on track. Okay, cool watching it that was weird 20 minutes pass freezes again my internet's down again and i'm figuring out what's going on service providers telling me it's my modem that took a shit and i'm like are you kidding me like on the one day that i have (laughs) free to watch a seven hour fucking movie is the day my modem decides to take a shit on top of that this movie is going to leave next week. I don't know when I'm going to have seven hours cleared to watch it before it's gone. And it's hard to find. You can't rent it. So I'm like, you know, I, I decide like, okay, you know what? I'm just not even, I'm just, we're, we could still do this, you know, cause it's like 11 o'clock at this point. We started it early. I buy a modem on um, Best Buy's website. I drive over to Best Buy so I can pick it up. Boom. I grab the modem. I could drive back home. Maybe 20, 30 minutes I've, I've lost, but that's okay. Where I, I plug in my modem and I'm setting it up. I call my service provider three times. It's a robot. Then I get a real person. 30 minutes go into the conversation before they're like, actually, that modem you bought doesn't have Wi-Fi capability. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Okay, what do I need? What? Just tell me what I need. Just tell me what I need. I, I need to watch this movie today. And um, they tell me what I I need to buy. So I go back to Best Buy. I return this modem and then they give me the one I need. And it's like 150 bucks, which I was not planning on spending that day. But, you know, it is what it is. Right. And I go back and I'm setting it up and I'm on the phone and it's not setting up properly. Two hours pass. At this point, the dream of watching this movie is rapidly fading away, uh, slipping out of my hands. And then they tell me, um, you know, well, it looks like it wasn't the modem. It looks like you have an intermittent signal, which I'm like, so what are you trying to tell me that I just spent $150 for nothing? Like what's going on? You know, like, is it the signal or is it the modem? And they're just, you know, just to bring it all back home, Satan Tango literally translates to Satan's Tango. I tried to dance with the devil and the devil won. I did not watch this movie. And I and I'm really hurt about it because I'm I don't know when I'm going to be able to, um, and this is like the ultimate street cred like cinephile like oh you ha- you have to watch Satan Tango you know like I watched all of Satan Tango I wanted to be that guy, but I'm not <laughs> I don't have a review for you it was one of the worst experiences I've ever had watching a film, but it has nothing to do with the film, it just had everything to do 
with my shitty modem and my horrible luck. The failure and, uh, to watch the film. It was a huge failure. I mean, I thought the hardest part would just be watching a seven-hour film. That was not the hardest part. That's a <laughs> whole shift, a, man. That's one crazy. problem after the other. Um, so yeah, I was the pretty bummed. gods were not with you on that one. They, yeah. were, they were not. But now I have, I'm going to have to buy the Blu-ray. I'm going to have to import it. And I'm going to have to fucking come back. I have to redeem it. I'm starting an arc here on the show now. Like I'm going to have to watch Satan Tango to write this wrong. Um, Cause I still haven't seen it. So that was my failure of a watch. I watched one seventh of it. So I wish I had more to say, but unfortunately I did not get to watch. <laughs> I'm a lamenting but, uh, for you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I really need it. Dude, what is an intermittent <laughs> si- signal? That's, I don't even know. What that Dude, is. what it actually ended up being was I just needed to call the company of the modem to set it up. Nobody, nobody at your ISP, just for everyone listening, knows what they're doing. This is not just not their fault, but like they don't know really what's going on. They don't have the training for it, whatever. It's not their thing. It's not their job, but they don't really know what's going on. They can send a guy who does, but that was a whole thing. They were like, we're going to send somebody tomorrow morning. I'm like, well, that sucks, but sure. And then I get a text and I'm like, someone's coming Monday morning. And I'm like, okay, is it Monday or is it today? And then they were like, actually, no one's coming because your problems resolved. And I'm like, no, it's not. What is happening? It was a nightmare. It really was like this Satan Tango experience was awful. So I'm building up the, a narrative to when, for when I will finally watch it, I will conquer this movie. When the time entirely. is right, man. When the time is right. <laughs> I know. I know. But yeah, that was my lack of a Saint Tango experience <laughs> story. You're just not ready for it, man. Just not it's yet. It's not, not meant to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you watch anything else, Ray? Uh, yeah, I watched two more movies, but the other one I don't want to mention. I watched Jobs. It was like, you know, a big hunk of shit, but whatever. Why did you watch? You know how many movies I've watched? <laughs> I didn't watch it and like thoroughly, dude. I was watching it. I rewatched like, I was... it. No. Is that the one with Ashton oh, Kutcher yeah. as Steve Jobs? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not the good Steve Jobs movie yeah, by not Danny the good Boyle, Steve. the shit one that was made like six months after he died, which was just yeah. like, dude, it is and it shows. horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it is just a horrifying Ashton Kutcher, huh? <laughs> Yeah, apparently it looks like him. I mean, a young Steve Jobs, I guess, but I don't know. It doesn't really work. He's like I, a terrible I, actor in that film. So Yeah, he's not good. I mean, yeah, he looks like general. him, sure, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I mean, I'm yeah, hurt. It, I'm it genuinely was, hurt. It was terrible. But then I did watch Licorice Pizza again, and I gave that four and a half stars out of five, but it's just, just one of those films, man. It's about the Valley, L.A., love. Or I guess like, you know, coming of age type of love and just trying to figure out who you are. Of course, like the dynamic between Alana and Gary. Amazing. Um, But yeah, four and a half stars out of five. Again, probably should give it a five, though, to be honest. I just enjoy that film so much. And I was surprised it was on Amazon Prime. Oh, is it? I still have to watch that movie, dude. Yeah, it's awesome. Check it out. Yeah. Check it out. I want to. I love PTA Um, a lot, so. I think that's probably my favorite film from him i would say i was no like, way yeah you i told you that when i watched Boogie nights they're yeah, good you like it more than not my... uh, that's hard. 
Dude, my favorite is Punch Drunk Love. I've, I've gotta watch all I've, of PTA and come back. I've to rewatched that. Boogie Nights the most out of all of them, but I really do enjoy Licorice Pizza. I don't know. That's a hot take. It's tough, yeah. I mean, I I, I understand why Licorice Pizza kind of just gets the rep. It's just like, oh, it's just like a hangout film. It is a hangout film. That's it. But it's just, it speaks to me. I think. Um, more than Boogie Nights, I would say, <laughs> but I do rewatch Boogie Nights like every week, so there's also that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Boogie Nights and There Will Be Blood are pretty immovable for me. Yeah, Carmen, mm-hmm. you've seen you've seen Licorice Pizza, but you had some reservations about it. Oh yeah, I <laughs> I feel like my my perspective was skewed a little bit. Uh-huh. I don't know. I was with a friend who, and I don't know. I read a lot of reviews about it being weird, so I mm-hmm. feel like I went into it kind of like, like with the whole see, like yeah. age gap thing. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I think I was overthinking it, you know. Whereas I wish I would have. I like. I feel like I need to rewatch it. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, if it's there with you from the beginning, it's there with you for throughout the whole film and you're trying to make mm-hmm. sense of it, trying to find some sort of justification of it. And it's like, you know, where do you where do you draw the line? Where do you accept it? But it's like, I think ultimately, if you kind of, again, like let it take you for a ride, at least I found that it's like it, it, it feels a little bit more real in that sense of just like these two people that kind of don't belong together but are drawn to each other and that yeah. that's something that's universal and I, I don't think it crosses any lines to the point where i'm like this is weird but yeah i definitely could see that for yeah. sure like for people you know feeling yeah that i way. could see it i think I mean, like that's like one of the things like i think it had trouble with a lot of people you know i think some of the racist remarks i guess the stereotypical remarks and also just like the age difference was like the huge thing that people were talking about okay are you talking about the asian accent in the yeah a lot of people yeah brought that up yeah to me that's something uh, that like i feel like michael scott would do on the office and no one would bat an eye but that's just (laughs) but like yeah i mean the office was like in 2005 and shit so yeah just like you know it's different now of course so it's like it just seems a little, yeah. I mean, that again, back to what Elijah was saying, like, you know, there's certain things that, right, yeah, you know, you kind of have to take can't... it in as an individual, yeah. you know, not necessarily be daring. Like, who, yeah, who is this <laughs> going to offend and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, like, I mean, like, I totally, I, I respect, you know, that people, you know, for instance, I mean, I've not seen Licorice Pizza, so I don't know how much validity I have in this mm-hmm. part of the conversation, but uh, I would say that, you know, it's like I get if people are upset and aren't into it, you know, I think that's totally okay. But totally mm-hmm. fine, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. It is what it is for them and you know, for me, I as an Asian guy, I was just like, I don't fucking care. <laughs> I didn't give a shit. I was like, that's it's funny to to an extent, so it didn't offend me, but um yeah, I guess I could see why. But uh, yeah. I love that movie, genuinely. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch it. It's uh, it's a good one to like. I just revisit scenes of it because it's like again, yeah. like a hangout movie, mm-hmm. so it has that, it has that free flowing nature. It's yeah. such a such a good good ride, but yeah, I'm groovy. Sounds like you need to give it a five though. No, because then if I if I don't give that, a f- I mean yeah, if I give that a five, I have to give there will if be it's blood your favorite and PTA movie Boogie Nights and it's not fives. a five. Wait, but wait. You know me. I never give anything five. Dude, you don't have Boogie Nights or There Will Be Blood at a five? 
I don't. They're both four and a half. Yeah, see, this is what I mean. This is this is what I mean. He's strict. He's like I am very strict. Yeah. It, it pains so what's me. a five for you? Is like is like a Clockwork Orange a five or like two thousand one a Space Odyssey? <sighs> oh yes, two thousand one's a five. I gave that a five. Um, Sunset Boulevard's a five. The Godfather is a five. What else did I give a five? Jaws is Jaws There's a like five. There's a handful of things that are like no, that's like a four for me. <laughs> what about is that a masterpiece to you guys? Yes, I think Jaws is a five. Yeah, yeah, Jaws okay, is a masterpiece okay. blockbuster movie for sure. Okay, okay, yeah. What about what about uh, like a Paul Verhoeven movie like Total Recall? I haven't watched it. I haven't watched oh, Total man, Recall. I mean, one. at least since I was a child, I would say yeah. Yeah, that's kind of tough to like give it a rating. <laughs> we need yeah. to watch RoboCop. Elijah Carmen, Dude, have you guys seen? That's one RoboCop? I really want to watch. I've never seen that. We gotta watch it. We have to that watch movie's it. It's fucking insane. It's so good. It's like the first five minutes, right? You like a like very madness. up your alley. Great gore, great comedy, great satire. The Verhovenisms are firing on all cylinders. It's fantastic. <laughs> Yo, it just reminded me, Raymond. What about Chunking Express? Is that a five for you? Dude, I haven't watched it. This is what um, I mean. Jeremy's... See, I've been begging him to watch any yeah. Wong Kar Wai because I know he'll love it. See, and he watches. I already Steve know Jobs that these are going to be five, though. <laughs> these are going to be fives. You already know me, though. Yeah, and those are going to be fives. Yeah. What are you sure. waiting for, dude? In the mood for love is so good, dude. I, I, it's on HBO, and I still haven't watched. I know Chung King will be your favorite. I know your ranking already. I've, it's already predetermined. <laughs> yeah, I think. Did I ever give like Kurosawa's stuff like a five? I don't think so, huh? Oh god, don't I remind me. Seven Samurai, maybe Seven I gave Samurai it a five. Gave a four and a half, same as nice. No, guys. I guess four point seventy five <laughs> out of five. I was very particular. That it makes me like, want to cry. I have to rewatch it to give it a five. It's like that's just like how I go about things. Like unless it's Sunset Boulevard or The Godfather, it has to be a rewatch to give. Yeah, it a everything five. is compared to those. Is on a yeah. scale from <laughs> one to Sunset Boulevard, where does this land? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Jeremy, I am down to watch RoboCop for sure. Yes, we got to make a RoboCop watch. Uh, it's a blast. It's a blast. Well, did you guys watch anything else, or is that pretty much it? Nothing worth mentioning. Yeah. My, there's nothing that can top my Satan Tango nightmare. <laughs> Dance yeah. with the devil. What a disappointment. It'll happen. It'll happen. Oh, God. I told you about that. Didn't I sound excited about that? <laughs> I, call, I called you on Friday, and I was like, I want to watch Satan Tango tomorrow. Seven hours, <laughs> so fucking crazy. I'm ready for the journey. And I just got fucked from from the beginning of the day to the very end. I got fucked. I may or may not have stomped on my old modem that took a shit on me. May may or may not have. I can't confirm. I was at the dumpster, and you know, I was throwing it away. I was like, I'm gonna give this a little bit of a boot here. Um, <laughs> it was a it was a rough day. It was a rough day. <laughs> But yeah. All right, guys, that'll do it for this week. Carmen, Elijah, thanks again for joining us. And don't forget, you guys can follow them on Instagram at Scroll Patrol. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, that period got me. Ooh, you missed <laughs> a period, dude? I did, yeah. Big mistake. Don't forget, you can follow them on Instagram at scroll.patrol and at undercover corpse. Uh, they're also on Letterboxd. 
this is fucking hard. This is like not. I'm not used to it. It's always just like, my name is Raymond. R A Y A M P A R O. You got to make a song out of Carmen's now. You do a song yeah. out of yours, right? I can't do it. No way. <laughs> They're also on Letterbox at C A R M E N S M N K and at E L I J A H Z I E G L E R. And you guys can follow us also on Letterbox. My name is Raymond at R A Y A M P A R O. And my name is Jeremy. And you can follow me at Spaced Cowboy, S-P-A-C-E-D-C-O-W-B-O-Y. My name is fucking Richard. <laughs> we miss you, bud. And thanks for listening. <laughs>